0: Welcome to Dreamers to Leaders, keeping it real with Melody podcast. Melody is a classic dreamer who started as a flight attendant and worked her way to now a tech fashion trendsetter, thought leader, and dynamic entrepreneur in various industries. This podcast is for the dreamers and doers. Learn how to think, act, and speak big as business leaders share how they turned from dreamers to leaders. Hello and welcome to the Dreamers to Leaders podcast. I'm your host, Melody. In today's episode, we'll talk about coffee, pizza, and the world of franchising, and of course, business do's and don'ts. Our guest today is the founder and CEO of Coffee Junkies and Pizza Junkies. He spent over 17 years of his life building this vision to make this company a
1: national brand.
0: Ladies and gentlemen, please help me welcome Jason Julius. Hello, Jason. Welcome to the show.
1: Hi, Melody. How are you?
0: I am great. Let's do this. All right. So before we talk about you as a leader and about your company, let's share with our audience a backstory on how you started your company.
1: Wow. Okay. So I, I, you know, a lot of people start where they're trying to supply a, a solution to a problem that that wasn't the case with me. Uh, I was a union rep and, uh, Thirty days after I was elected, my son was diagnosed with cancer, and thirty days before re-election, uh, after a couple of relapses, he passed away. Um, so when he passed, it was a I did not get re-elected, and my brain—I I was fearing that my brain was going to—I to, needed something to grab a hold of. So six months after, I had a, a brain child I had been chewing on for a decade. And I decided to just jump in with both feet. Uh, and I opened up Coffee Junkies in, uh, in what would be November of 2005. Um, and then as we came all the way through, after uh, eight years, it was I wanted to take everything that I had learned and apply it to a new brand. So I developed Pizza Junkies in a test kitchen. And then a year later, I decided I wanted to know what it would look like under one roof. So I put it under one roof. And the dual brand under one roof concept was born of coffee junkies and pizza junkies, or a coffee shop and a pizza place. Uh, and I've been in business now for almost seventeen years.
0: So, so Jason, that's quite um, quite unusual to have coffee and pizza together. It's usually either maybe root beer <laughs> with, with pizza, right? Or coffee with pastry. But combining those two, uh, that's, uh, that's quite uh, unusual. Where do you see most of your, um, your branches, your, your stores?
1: Oh, I'm, I'm located in Indiana. Uh, actually, I, I grew up in Indianapolis. Um, but my job at Chrysler, my career there was in Kokomo. and They're about 50 miles south or I'm sorry, 50 miles north of Indianapolis. Uh, So with all of my connections and all of my adult life and associations, that's where I actually started the business. Um, So when I needed the proof of concept that my dual brand under one roof was like there was legs to it, I came back to where I grew up in Indianapolis and opened up the proof of concept itself because I was trying to prove legitimacy so that I could move towards franchising, which is, I never had access to the Ivy League schools and the and the hundreds of millions of dollars so in order to realize my vision of a, of a national brand franchising was my natural extension to actually get the coffee junkies and pizza junkies brands nationally and and I'll be honest it's only been within the last month that uh that we've pulled together our fdds and and all of our documentation so that we could actually start selling and me realizing that vision of, of growing into a national brand
0: wow congratulations uh jason how long did that take uh, to get your um your your licenses uh, to franchise it uh
1: about a year uh that's when i originally signed on with the uh, consultants uh they said that there was a process of about five to six months realistic expectations by the time you go through the 300-page document several times, making sure you're dotting the I's, crossing the T's, the whole process took about a year to actually pull everything together.
0: So, so with that 17 years, what has been your proudest moment, uh, Jason?
1: Ooh, my! I mean, w- w- when it comes to business, I think that the proudest moment, um, the so in 2014 when I created Pizza Junkies, and then 2015 and I put them under one roof, uh, in 2016 We won business of the year With the Howard County Chamber of Commerce uh, As the dual brand under one roof concept uh, So that would be a I mean, I, I'd have to look back But I'm sitting here going That was a very proud moment Because it's like you're not really going to be original In the coffee industry Or the pizza industry right. But I knew of nobody in America That had ever thought about putting a coffee shop and a pizza place under one roof <laughs> developing systems where it truly worked well. So I felt like in my innovation that I had actually developed a pretty original concept.
0: Wow. Uh, congratulations again. That's, uh, that's awesome to be, uh, to be voted by the, the chamber, right? The local chamber. Uh, yeah. So um, with regard, conversely, conversely, what would you consider to be uh, your most painful teaching moment during that journey?
1: Ooh, I mean, I, and that's the, the most painful. I, I mean, honestly, too many to list. I, I say that because, I mean, a lot of people talk about entrepreneurship and they talk about this major sacrifice that you have to make. And, and there's no one major sacrifice that you necessarily have to make. It's that when you start your entrepreneurial journey and and you're willing to eat, sleep, and breathe your business that it puts you to hard decisions every day and inevitably you have to make sacrifices every day. So when you get a decade down the road, you look back at all of those small sacrifices and they add up to a very huge sacrifice that you made to pursue your vision and to actually build a business. So the, the sacrifices are just a string of a bunch of sacrifices that, well, most people go out to a bar and they socialize. I didn't. I worked. I mean, it was most people work nine to five Monday through Friday, and then they hang out on the weekends. I didn't. I, I worked seven days a week, and uh, and and I mean, that's just if you're going to compete in capitalism, you have got to be ready to make those sacrifices and and truly compete, and you just can't do that uh, working nine to five.
0: So, if you look back in your journey what would you consider i mean if you would um go back and talk to your uh, younger self what would your most um the biggest takeaway so far that you think if you have known that starting mm-hmm. it would have made a huge difference what
1: would that well, be because i've really reflected on that introspectively um and the funny enough when i it's like i noticed that every time that I took, made a legitimate effort to start reading and really searching out knowledge and and growing mentally, Um, the business progressed. Like I, the business progressed the first several years because I was reading, trying to to get up to speed and, uh, and the learning curve. And then there were years where I was struggling and in the midst of the struggle and working on or working in the business, not on it, I backed off of the reading and every time that I came back to the reading, the business really developed and grew because I mean, you got to search out information and you can pay big dollars for consultants. But Small businesses just don't have those big dollars or you can really tear into books. and And I mean, I'll be honest, I have a very good morning habit where I drink three cups of coffee and I'm reading 20 to 30 pages a day and I'm tearing through four to five books a day. And I've been doing that for a solid three or four years now, that learning and growing and that commitment. And and at the end of the day, that love for reading has really benefited me. And it's benefited the business because I'm learning and growing every day. I'm setting the example for all of my people to do the same. And, and it takes a team.
0: So I agree with you, you know, consistent consistent desire, to have that um, real burning desire to be open to learning and to get more information, to be humble enough to seek information. Uh, as a matter of fact, when I was browsing through your, your social media, and you talked about uh, your morning habit of at least 30 to 40 pages, right? So I was thinking, you know what, uh, I think that's good. It's small. It's a, it's a bite-sized thing. And, and before you know it, you, you can go through the whole book, just like that, right? So I don't think it was quite the <laughs> 30 pages, because I set it to 10 minutes or 15 minutes, and then I stop, right? But uh, even that, even that consistency of doing something to learn from each page, right, I think um, amounts to something uh, later on. So I agree with you uh, very much uh, on that. Now, with, uh, with all the geopolitics, the current events, that's going on as a business owner with, um, with sanctions and rising costs, supply chain dilemma. How are you, how are you coping uh, with that? Uh,
1: Well, I mean, honestly, again, a very competitive individual that learned a lot of lessons over those first 10 years, uh, right down to, I made the mistake in the early years that, I depended too much on single relationships with different vendors. Uh, one, that didn't keep them honest. Uh, and, and two, it did not serve me well when, when they're obviously coming up on these supply chain disruptions. So I had more of a, I developed major relationships and I developed minor relationships that were always setting there. Uh, and that has really served me well through all of this supply chain disruption because I have been willing to go back and lean on some of those minor relationships where the major people drop the ball in general. Uh, But, but I will say on the bigger issue where you talk about these geopolitics, um, I found myself a couple of years ago, really being sucked into it and all of the negativity of it. uh, And then watching all of the blame and all of the excuses. And about a year ago, I just shut it all off and realized Like, I don't have any patience for excuses in general, and the world is going to be what it is, and I have to concentrate on my world and my business. Uh, So I shut off the negativity and focused on holding myself accountable, not making excuses and doing whatever it took uh, to solve the problems, because the problems have came, but the problems are always going to come in business. Uh, But I go out of my way to protect my energy. To, to stay positive about it because I am a problem solver. I, I love solving problems and and there's ebbs and flows to everything. Sometimes it comes easy. Sometimes it comes hard and you just can't look at what the political environment is. You just got to operate if you're going to be in business one way or the other.
0: I'm trying to get better uh, to completely, completely shutting it off because you're absolutely right. Not only It takes a lot of uh, time, energy, effort, right? There's also a lot of misinformation and disinformation out there. So yes, you are actually um, gobbling up information, devouring those, and you're not even sure if what you're getting are the correct footages and and commentaries, etc. I
1: mean, there's a certain disappointment because I do feel like I am robbed of a little bit of information. Cause I really do seek out information and knowledge, but when 98% of it is propaganda and both sides are looking to make you mad and put the negativity out there. And it's just like, okay, so I forego that 2% of real information so that I can avoid the 98% of the negativity. Because like I said, I'm trying to protect my vibe. I don't, I want to stay positive. Uh, and I don't, I'm not buying into the herd mentality and choosing sides. I'd like, I'm independent. I choose my side. Uh, and I'm just trying to to function and operate in life to the best of my ability.
0: Uh, I'm the same. I'm trying, I think I'm fiercely protective of, of that vibe, right? Because um, there's always that effect that you bring into the room. And as a leader, Right, and we'll talk about culture and um, morale uh, later. But still, um, still so, so in the topic of uh, your your coffee and pizza, coffee being the world's most consumed beverage, and um, you know, obviously, there's all these major chains, major brands that you're competing with. How was it like competing with those uh, major brands, especially starting out, Jason? Uh-
1: I'll be honest. Uh, I didn't see it. It, it. I didn't frame it that way uh, when I got into business. And, and I found it funny because people were like, you're going to compete against the 800 pound gorilla. And I'm like, yeah, they're, they're one competitor. And they've grown to a point where they've lost, in my opinion, they, they lost touch with that grassroots feel. And they became a major corporation. Uh, and I felt like I had an advantage as a small business to compete with them on that level um so i didn't look at as having many many i just knew i was competing it was a david and goliath uh, but i also learned from them i i have a deep respect for howard schultz and what he actually built uh uh-huh. and it's like they're a billion dollar corporation if they're doing something you should pay attention to those trends so i followed what they were doing and i just tried to put my own twist on it and well it's just like for instance when I very first opened, I became very uh, aware that they had developed their own language to the point that they actually owned certain words. They owned certain colors. And I was like, all right, you can play that game. Um, So I developed my menu where 80% of the drinks that are on my menu are specialty beverages. I branded each drink to make sure that you could only order them from me. Um, So that you couldn't go back to them and try and order what I was producing. And I got really deep into the mixology of it uh, and mixing different syrup flavors with espressos and milk to, to create original creations in general, um, trying to compete where I saw that they were having success.
0: I think it was brilliant that they have this concept of uh, your next uh, living room, right. Or your third living room, something to that effect. Um and in terms of revenue, their net revenue apparently last year was to the tune of 25 billion, up from 19.6 billion, um, you know, previous to that. So a lot of money uh, to be to be had in that uh, in that space. And there's a little trivia on the pizza side because you combined uh, the two. Uh, apparently, what was it? 93% of Americans would um, eat one slice of pizza in the next 30 days, 93%. (laughs) I have yet, um, I don't know. I don't know of any human being that does not eat pizza at all, period. (laughs)
1: No, when I did my research on it, uh, in my kind of tri-state area, uh, the people eat pizza two to three times a week. Uh, So I saw the benefit of that. And I was like, okay, well, if I'm selling coffee heavy in the morning uh and i obviously have to close early because there's not a big demand for it in the evening but yet that there's a huge demand for pizza in the evening and i'm able to keep the coffee business open that they as a business concept they really marry well together um ah, say so
0: have yeah. something that is a staple during breakfast right and uh mid afternoon and then you have something at the latter part of the day so there's always a demand for for your for your product that's awesome now in in that uh industry back in Asia we used to have a bake shop and I have uh you know a few relatives that for generations really they have uh in the family um have this restaurant chain right and pilferage pilferage uh is a challenge. Is that also something that you are experiencing, and how are you handling that?
1: Well, I mean, if I'm understanding correctly, I mean, you're talking, I mean, more or less waste. Is that what you're referring uh, to? It's
0: more of um, of uh, employees that take small stuff home. So maybe yep. you know um, utensils or uh, you know a bag of
1: something. <laughs> Well, I mean, don't get me wrong, towards that end, I, I, because when I started up, obviously about like every business, and it was a lot more mom and pop, and I realized that uh, that they need to know Big Brother is watching. Uh, so when when I installed the camera system, and I periodically checked up on it to let them know that I was in fact watching, a lot of that stuff stops. And, and then you come to the other side of it, of uh, free stuff going out the window, and they get real comfortable with their customers. Well, we had old cash registers where they were determining what they were going to charge, got rid of that and brought in the point of sale system where all they could do was touch the buttons for what the order was so that they didn't have any control of that stuff. Uh and then obviously, like through receipts, you can make sure that they're ordering the proper thing. Um, but one of my prouder pieces of all of that, and I just try and encompass it, is that uh one of the I took out a Chrysler that Waste kills all. Uh, so I develop coffee junkies as a no waste, like a legitimate zero waste operation. The only thing that I waste is what we dump out, uh, brewing of our house coffee at the end of the night. Everything else is made specifically by the cup, measured by the cup, so that there is no waste in the actual operation itself. Uh, and I just preach it. Uh, and they all know. I mean, I, I had a friend of mine tell me that. He owned a bar and he said, my employees don't realize that when they over four shots, uh, that they are in fact stealing from me. So I went back to my employees and I laid that out and I was like, look, if you want job security, you want your paychecks to cash, you got to stop wasting this stuff. You got to stop taking this stuff out because it's hard for me to meet payroll when you're nickel and diming me to death uh, on those little things that you think it's just okay to walk out with. No, it's not okay to walk out with that stuff. And you might not see it that way, but it is, in fact, theft. Um, and I think that that's just part of the, the culture of accountability.
0: So what's also unique about last year, others would call it the year of the big quit. Like 42 million employees have just decided, nope, I am going to turn in my, my resignation. How has that affected uh, your business in attracting and retaining
1: talent? It's, I mean, I'm not going to say here and tell you that I'm not struggling like any other. I would say that uh, employment rise, I'm running at about 85, 90% capacity on, on what I could have in the operation in general. Um, but I mean, I have a union background and, right. and I don't want to go deep into that because of all the things people read into it. But from my perspective, uh, you take care of people and the people that are the labor, you take care of them because they're taking care of you. Uh, I developed a business plan where I've always paid at the high end of the industry average. In in a lot of cases, I'm setting the actual high bar for what people are paid. Um, So my employees are like, when you can make $15 to $20 an hour, simply making coffee and conversating with customers, like I, I have not had a problem finding good employees and, and really trying to tell them all like we operate up here. And if you don't operate up here, you're not going to fit in with this group uh, because I really do look to have a, a high performing group that appreciate that you take care of the customer. They take care of you. And on the overall, you end up making a lot of money just to, just to make coffee or make pizza.
0: So what has been most effective for you for keeping the morale and having that healthy culture that, uh, really, you know, is very mindful of, um, your employee experience, especially in this super highly competitive, um, market.
1: And I mean, I'm going to be honest. I, some people are afraid of touching it and I'm, I'm not, I'm, I'm never at a loss for words. You over communicate. Um, But one of the mistakes that I made that I had to back up early on was that I came due to that union background with a full culture of family and that your seniority really mattered. And then I realized that people were starting to take advantage of that. Uh, And then I read Reed Hastings' book uh, on Netflix and Patty McCord's book, which was his HR rep. uh, And their whole concept was freedom and responsibility. And that resonated with me. And then I realized that, that I wanted a hybrid culture, that my culture was, yes, it was family-oriented, but I am a big believer that in families, you find yourself tolerating things you wouldn't tolerate out of somebody else. And I don't play that. That's just not me. Um, but in business, you're competing. And much like a, the sports, you're trying to put together the best team that you can put together to compete So the culture that I have implemented has been one of accountability and feedback and running a parallel of both a family environment without expecting to tolerate things you wouldn't tolerate out of others and a competitive team environment and everybody understanding you have to pull your weight and you have to compete uh, because it's my job for the business to get to put together the best team possible. And either you come in every day and you prove that, that the reason that you're in your position is because you're that good, or I need to be looking to find somebody better, um, which keeps them pressing and pushing to make sure that they're actually performing and saying, hey, I'm really good and I deserve my spot on this roster.
0: I, I like that. Freedom and responsibility would be kind of the buzzwords, right? That would be the 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 attitude the character the behavior would would kind of be surrounded with that with that value of uh, of freedom and responsibility which then as a leader making sure that there's the accountability piece that um, uh, as well as um, the feedback you know making sure that we listen you know to, to that super valuable uh, feedback now branding what is the main message behind your branding and what is the intent and purpose?
1: that We're we have- talking, we talking about my personal brand. So I have two different things that one, uh, I look out into the world of social media and I see so much over glamorization of entrepreneurship that like, like I'm a very truthful individual. I'm not always everybody's cup of tea, but I want to be honest and When I see that over glamorization, I'm like, you you need to call that. That's not right. That's not realistic in general. Um, So it's like, I want to tell and put out there what real entrepreneurship is because they're like, oh, you own a business. You're a millionaire. Your life is great. You don't know. That's not real entrepreneurship. Like the struggle is very real. Mm -hmm. Uh, So I want that straight talk. Uh, But the other side of it is when I started in 2005, that this information wasn't out there Uh, and I'm sitting there, I want to champion small business and I want to put out the real information out there because it took me like 11, 12 years before I started experiencing any type of like real success. Because the first five years I made so many mistakes because that information wasn't out there that it took me another five or six years to dig myself out of that hole through deep research to go digging for information that I'm like, well, in the day and age of social media, you shouldn't have to dig that hard for the information. But it needs to be real, honest information, because everybody starts with you don't know what you don't know. Mm -hmm. And that light's got to go off in your head to say, well, maybe I need to find somebody to tell me what it is, I don't know. So at least I have a starting point, point. Uh, and I'm a very much of a blue collar background. I try and be a very grounded individual. So I just was like, I need to be me and comfortable in my own skin. So I'm just going to put me out there, and and hopefully my perspective resonates with people, and and I'm able to offer lessons and maybe save some people some of the pain that I actually went through, and and in the process be known as somebody that that I don't BS. I mean, I, I'm just trying to be real and, and, and offer straight talk uh, and good information out there for other small service businesses.
0: What you just said resonated with me uh, in terms of that rawness, you know, that that being real. Uh, and if we just kind of look at this, uh, the podcast. <laughs> so it's called Dreamers the Leaders Keeping It Real with Melody Podcast. So the rawness I resonate with. And then secondly, it's uh, the the being champion uh, for the small business uh, owners. And that was the whole um, reason why I thought, you know what, this platform I think is needed where, you know, here are business owners with their struggles, their do's and don'ts, their tips, their hacks that uh, they could, Put out there uh, for the other business owners to be inspired and, and learn from number one mm-hmm. number two also for the business owners to have a platform to say hey this is what i do so I, i'll segue to your your franchising opportunity so let's say one of our audience would want to look into franchising um is there like exclusive exclusivity in terms of a um, say california blah, blah, blah. You know, you own california and, and whatnot. Number two, so uh, exclusivity and and second is um, why would with you know there's actually a magazine specifically for uh, you know it's franchise magazine, right? <laughs> Where all the um, all those companies okay. that are offering uh, franchising opportunities are you know put their the spotlight on why they're better. What is the best value and why would one choose your uh, company to franchise with?
1: Well, I mean, I was gonna say let's unpack that a little bit. Um, so one, uh, I have started with, I want to uh, open up or empower other small business minded people. Uh, but being based in Indiana, I've already stated to, uh, to my franchise consultants that, that I wanted to start by um, Indiana states that touch Indiana, no more than two states out in general, as far as opening up individual operations, just out of the logistics of I can't open in Cal- I can't open a single operation in California and expect to be able to service them or work with them from Indiana when we're just actually getting started out. Um, as far as uh, exclusivity, uh, it's places like Washington, Oregon, California. New York coastal areas that that I am very much looking towards selling those territories to people that want to that want multi unit operations, um, because I'm not overly uh, knowledgeable about those areas and the culture that is in those areas. And it's and I think that if I can find the right opportunity, it's better off left to to somebody that really understands those states. I being from Indiana, I understand the flyover states in general, where a lot of people don't necessarily pay a whole lot of attention because we're not actually on the coast in general. Um, but where I think my opportunity excels is that in the food and beverage industry, uh, one generally people have a a primary time of day that they're really capturing their revenue and maybe they have a secondary. Okay, I do revenue from 6 a.m. to 11 p.m. seven days a week because of the way my business plan actually functions itself. Uh, the other side of it is is that when they open up in food and beverage, they will have a like they are known for this dish or these in particular type of options, right. and then they put peripheral options around them. Well, I mastered the drink industry, and then when I created Pizza Junkies. I mastered the food industry. So neither side is a primary or secondary. They're both primaries that you can order a really good pizza or sub and a really good drink, not just an add on. So I think that I'm, as far as I know, my tickets are running higher in the food and beverage industry in general. Um, because it's specialty drinks and specialty foods where you're able to get the best of both or either, depending on the time of the day, that type of thing. Uh, but it's a very well-rounded business model, a well-rounded brand, well-rounded menu uh, to maximize that if you're going to be in the food and beverage space, the, the most successful ones, the, the McDonald's of the world, the five guys, the, I mean, they are Busy from the time that they open until the time that they close, and due to the coffee industry and the pizza industry doing dealing with what it is, okay, you open very early for coffee and you stay open very late for pizza and the way they mix i'm I'm doing solid revenue twelve to sixteen hours a day uh with with not much law in there and uh, and, and the business plan just works when it comes to the food and beverage industry in general
0: so, so for for business owners and for anyone uh, for that matter, it's all about managing expectation. So what would be something that if they're interested, um, that would be that, you know, hey, you gotta brace yourself on this possible um, pitfall. So what is something that they could anticipate and therefore, um, you know, brace themselves and be on the lookout for possible challenges?
1: Well, I mean, the thing is, is that, I mean, It doesn't matter whether you're dealing with customers or dealing with employees. You better care and be able to have that empathy and the ability to put yourself in their position because when you're in business, you're dealing with massive amounts of personalities coming at you from one side or the other. You need, I mean, you got to have strong communication skills. You have to have a desire to actually communicate with people and help find middle grounds and solve problems and, and keep people moving in a direction. Uh, it is a lot of coordinating and it's a lot of team building. Uh, and especially, like I said, in the, in the food and beverage space, like every operation is 25 to 30 people. Uh, so in all of the, as it goes, okay, well, you have to coordinate each team. And then you have to coordinate all of the teams, and then you have all of the customers that deal with the individual operations and the individual people inside of the operations. You're always dealing with people. You're always communicating. Uh, you got to have the bandwidth and the energy to actually keep up with that. And I would honestly say you should have a love for it. Like you should be an individual that really enjoys that connectivity and that communication because it's going to be an onslaught of it one way or the other.
0: You know, that's, um, it's exciting, because as you grow into a national brand, you know, there's always the international market, right? So it could only grow from here. So that is truly exciting. I wish you uh, the best in this, uh, in this venture. So as we um, reach the tail end of our show, how can our audience uh, reach you,
1: Jason? uh and i'm pretty active on social media uh i will that's what my name j-a-s-a-n uh j-u-l-i-u-s but uh facebook instagram tiktok it's all at jason julius uh my youtube channel is double j tv um yeah i mean and then obviously i mean you can find that was one of the I put my personal brand out there because when you're dealing with franchising, it's very much a partnership with people. So in that partnership, I wanted to put myself out there so that if somebody looked at my franchise opportunity, well, they're partnering with me. So I want them to resonate with me or or see where my personality is coming from and, and who I am as an individual uh, because I do. I am very much a I. You know, you've got those keywords, real, authentic. Uh, and and I mean, I just, I'm comfortable in my own skin and I want to be me. And I want to work with people that I want to work with and people that want to work with me. So if they resonate with my personal brand and they see the brilliance of the actual business model, well, then there's a good partnership there to have. Um, but if they see the brilliance of the business model, but they don't resonate with me, well, it's still not a good partnership. So, it's about getting all of those pieces together,
0: pieces together and upfront, right? So, we're not wasting uh, anyone's time, energy, effort. If you see that there could potentially be synergy, chemistry, and all that, then you proceed to step two, right? So, you know, kind of being out there, being transparent, and then from there, you know, take it or leave it, right?
1: (laughs) All right, you got to accept. I mean, I'm not, I I will fully say that. Because of, as you commented, I do have a certain level of an intensity. Um, and I mean, the, as as one of my managers puts it, I'm an acquired taste. Okay, so I know I'm not everybody's cup of tea, um, but I am real. And and I mean, I'm honest. And it's just, a, I, I, my whole thing was, is that I over, I mean, I, I'm not saying I don't want to be liked, but I want to be respected. And I want people to look at me and say, you know what? The dude doesn't BS you and you always know where you stand with him and he's honest and you know he's gonna be good for his word. Uh, and when after my time here on earth, if, they, if that's what they say about me, then then I'll be happy with that. But uh, always being liked well, I mean, if you're a people pleaser and you're trying to please everybody, likelihood is you're not gonna please anybody. Uh, and yeah, I just, uh, I gotta be me so that I'm, I, I can't put that stuff out there on social media and feel like I'm trying to hold up to an alternative persona. I I am me. And as long as I, as long as I'm comfortable in my own skin, well, then I, I put it out there and, and wherever the chips fall, they fall. You
0: know, um, you know, listening to you with regard to the intensity, because, uh, early on in, in, in our show. You were saying that you're you're being mindful not to be too intense, right? <laughs> but, you know, the truth of the matter is um, for a lot, especially in maybe sales or in dealing with, with clients, there needs to have that. And intensity maybe might be an intense word, <laughs> but it's enthusiasm and, and passion. If you passion. have enthusiasm and passion, it's really hard to just, kind of subdue that you know what I mean if you're happy if you're just really excited to share what you have how can you contain that right and if they think that's intense well you know what that's their problem and I think Jason at the end of the day you reach a certain point in your life where you're just so you're just so confident and you're happy you're at peace with what you do then if for whatever reason it rubs them the wrong way or what have you totally not your care
1: right too many people get wrapped up and what and what other people's opinions of you are and you don't have any control of that and you do have to be comfortable in your own skin and uh, and i've said that i spent many years being wrong more than i was right and and after all of these years in adult life and learning and developing a little bit of wisdom through some painful mistakes i'm right more than i'm wrong Uh, And I think that that's probably where that confidence comes from. But when you go back to the intensity, it's like I tell people that I've long known how to radiate my anxiety. Uh, And then I became more mindful to understand that I was having anxiety in the moment and I radiated it. But what I'm capable of is radiating my energy. Uh, And as long as I'm positive, then I'm radiating positive energy. And when I get anxiety because I see something that's going wrong, that's a red flag. And and yes, I do have the ability to radiate both my energy and my anxiety. And sometimes that comes off as being intense or passion. And, uh, and other times that comes off as uh, legitimately what I'm trying to do. I'm trying to push people to move faster.
0: Right, right, um, right. Yeah. And I, th- <laughs> and I don't think there's anything wrong with that, especially if you're a leader, you know what I mean? You can't be like, soft spoken and, um, low energy. No, no one's going to follow you. <laughs> I, I think so. I think that's part of, um, you know, the vibrancy and, um, you know, it creates urgency and realness, you know, uh, if an attention, you know what I mean? <laughs> Sometimes you just need to, to command attention and what do you do? You can't be whispering, right? <laughs> but you know what, um, uh, uh, you said something and um, aha about being being wrong, right? So maybe you're wrong ten times, or hundred times, or a million times. I don't know, but you're right one time, and that one right could be your ticket to completely washing off every wrong, right? So all you need is just that one right, and and it will take some missteps uh, along the way, but. Um, you're always much better off if if you take that step compared to those that never did, right?
1: No, and that's the, look, I mean, so many people look at it and they look at those mistakes and they're like, well, that was a loss. Well, no, that mistake was a learning lesson. It was an opportunity to grow. uh, And it's all of those mistakes that turn into lessons that allows the building blocks and the foundation that does lead to the confidence and ultimately leads to the success. Because, I mean, in the food and beverage industry or bu- or any business, your door's got to be open. So even despite the mistakes, it's living to fight another day and learning and growing so that the door is open and you still have the opportunity to pursue that next thing that comes along as you're moving through life in general. Uh, and it just comes down to the mindset. I mean, I can remember times where in the very early stages when I was making big mistakes, like it sucked. I mean, like I made some major mistakes and they were really painful and I still had to do the right thing, which meant enduring some pain. But at the end of the day, I look back at it all and I'm so grateful for all of it because it taught me so much that I'm able to apply to the rest of my life. And I'm looking at myself at 47 going, I got another 30 years in me and I survived all of those mistakes and I've learned all of the lessons. I'm grateful for all of the pain because I know I'm going to be able to utilize all those lessons and apply them moving forward.
0: Um, As they say, words, words don't teach. You can read as much and people can say as much, right? but it's life experience that teaches. So it's all about the tuition, the the life experience uh, tuition that we have to pay in order to learn and be better, right? All right, so that concludes our show. Thank you, uh, Jason, for, for gracing our show.
1: Melody, thank you very much. I very much, I appreciate it so much.
0: And for all the dreamers out there, keep believing you got this till next time.